0: Good morning, once again. Go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn them open to Matthew chapter 26. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. And children, you are dismissed to go back to Children's Chapel. So let's look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples... Sit here while I go over over there and pray. Take along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John. And he began began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said unto them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. Then he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink of it. Your will be done. And he came again and he found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Or, wake up, let's go, see, my betrayer is near. So you may be a little confused, you may be thinking, didn't we just hear this a couple weeks ago at Easter? This is a passage you normally hear at Easter time. And this is exactly where I got the idea, idea for this message. It was on a Wednesday night, we're here, the board was here at the prayer meeting. And pastor was given, talking about this scripture, and he kept saying, stay awake. And the thought just came to me, wow, that'd be a really good message title. But that was all I had, was stay awake. So I just began to pray about it. God, what do you want me to preach with this stay awake? So my question for you today is, are you awake or are you sleeping? Is God telling you to wake up? Not literally, because I hope you really don't sleep through my message today. But are you spiritually sleeping? Or are you awake and alive in Christ? Father God, once again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to dig into your word and to hear from you and for the opportunity to stand here and preach. Even though, God, sometimes I do not feel like I am worthy, but I just want to be used by you. So use me today. Hide me behind the cross. Speak through me. and Let us hear from you today. In your heavenly and most precious name, amen. Ian Paisley, an Irish revivalist and minister, he said this, About sleeping. He said the church. Of Jesus Christ is largely sleeping. Like a great bedroom. You have all the Christians in the bed. And they are sleeping. And they are saying please. Don't wake me up. I want to sleep on. And of course. When God wants to operate a revival. People cannot sleep. The spirit of God. Awakens the people. In Isaiah it says this, it says, Awake, awake, put on strength. Wake up, you sleepy Christians. Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Let's go ahead now and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Imitate Christ. Let's stop and think about that for a second. We are to imitate Christ. So we are supposed to look like Christ in everything we do, everything we say at all times. But, of course, as Christians, as human beings, that is not going to be possible. But that is supposed to be what we are to strive for, to strive to be like Christ. So it says, imitate Christ. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. So this scripture of passage is written to the church at Ephesus from Paul directly to those who are already believers in him. Verse two, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater in worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall upon them who disobey him. Verse 7. Don't participate in the things these people do. Again, when we hear that, we can go to the scripture where it says we are to be in the world and not of the world. People are supposed to look at us as Christians, as people who follow God and see something Totally different in us a few weeks ago. I was at a church And and i'm not and i'm not trying to bash what they were doing That's what they were doing But the whole time almost the whole time we were there for a christian event. They were playing secular music And i'm not saying secular music is bad as long as it does As long as it doesn't go against the bible as long as it's not bashing christianity but I thought for me, just my thought, that at a Christian event, we should be playing Christian songs instead of the ACDC and the Foo Fighters and all that other stuff they were playing. So if somebody from the outside stepped in, they would not be able to tell the difference that that was a church event. And we need to be able to tell that. And there's so many churches that today that are like that. We call them seeker sensitive churches they want you to feel good there's nothing wrong with being a seeker friendly church we want to be friendly to all those who come in but when somebody steps into church into the building that we call the church that we you praise god in they should be able to see that there is something different in this building than other buildings that they are in and again, like I said, that is just my opinion. I can't pull a scripture really from the word that says they shouldn't play secular music. But again, I want, the, I want people when they step in here, I want them to hear the praises of God. And again, I'm not saying they have to play praise and music all the time. There are plenty of upbeat Christian rock stuff that they could play. Let's get back into the, in, into the word. So verse 8 it says, For once you were full of darkness... But now you have the light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. So once you were lost in your sin, once you were on your way to hell, but now you have been changed, you have been transformed, you have been made new, not just because you only believe in Christ, because it's not just enough to believe in Christ, because in James, it says that even the demons and all of the demons of hell believe in Christ. But you believe in Christ and you have repented, you have turned from your sin, and you are now living differently. So we need to live as people of the light. When we think about people of the light, when I think about that, I go to one of my favorite passages, and it comes from Matthew, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You, so you Christians, are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, people should look at us and see something differently and be like, there's something different about that person. Not in a weird way, even though some of us are different in a weird way. But they should look at us and be like, what, what brings that person joy? What brings that person the joy that they have? I want that. We need to be that light to all people. Back to Ephesians verse 9. For this light, the light that lives in us, the Holy Spirit within you produces only which is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds and evil of darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that are ungod that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is a said, "Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light." So are you awake or are you sleeping? Are you alive in Christ or are you dead? Do you need a revival? Do you need a renewal in Christ today? I've said it again. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You are either walking towards the cross or you're walking away from it. There is no standing still when you're trying to please God. Revival is this. Revival is to live again, to receive again, a life which has almost expired. To rekindle into a flame the vital spark which was nearly extinguished. Revival is about a person, not a place. Revival can happen in you, anytime, anywhere you choose to follow christ it doesn't just have to happen at church a lot of us know you know a few months ago back in february there were heaven where they said a big revival down at asbury university and i'm not here to say they were or they weren't but people were flying in and driving in from all over the country all over the world because they wanted to be a part of that revival service well the sad thing is people wanted to be a part of a feeling ...and not a true revival in themselves. And people came to Christ. People gave their lives back to Christ. So I'm not here to say that that was or wasn't a true revival... Churches all around used to have revival meetings every summer, or they'd call them tent meetings or camp meetings, and those were great, because that would be the time that you would be able to invite all your friends and all your family, like, hey, come, come out to me, you know, on a Monday or Tuesday night. It's going to be a little bit of a different service. We're going to have food before, we're going to have a special speaker, and those were great. But here's the thing, we have to be very careful about saying we are going to have a revival service, because revival can't be planned it's a move of the holy spirit true revival is more than just a feeling it lasts more than just a few days or a few weeks it's a total change in revival in our hearts in our attitude and our walk with god thousands of christian teens this year will have what they say is a revival in them when they go off to church camp or they go off on a missions trip. And I can say this and I can, to attest, I can attest to this because I was there. We'd go off to church camp and since I'm only, you know, a few years young, at that time we wouldn't have cell phones with us or if you did, all it did was make phone calls. So when we went away, we would be completely cut off from the world. All we would have <clears throat> is the people we were there with the worship services and the speakers. And we'd be completely cut off. We'd have worship services, chapel services twice a day. And, of course, at that time, we'd have quiet times. And you definitely want to do your quiet time because you wouldn't want somebody looking at you like, why aren't they doing their quiet time? This is supposed to be, you know, every time, you know, you're doing your devotional. So even though a lot of people wouldn't want to, they'd, we'd fake it till we'd make it is what we'd say. And we'd we'd come back from church camp. We'd say we were on fire for Christ. But like, this time, it's going to be different. This time, I'm going to live for Christ. This time, I'm not going to do all those other things. This, well, maybe I'll hang out with those people. And until we got back into the hustle and bustle of life and hanging out with the people we used to, and our fire would start to diminish. And we weren't really revived. We were just living on life support. We were just getting by. And we can still, we, we still have that today. There's plenty of people that maybe we've even left here like that. We've left after a service and we have this mountaintop experience. And we're like, wow, that was awesome. The service was awesome. The speaking was awesome. The worship was awesome. God showed up. The Holy Spirit was there. And then we get on with life and we start to go back down the mountain and we start to lose that fire that was underneath of us. Or we go away to a conference and I pray the men that went away to the conference a couple weeks ago, I pray that what everything that Pastor Marquise spoke about, that we truly put it into practice. That it's not just a mountaintop experience. Pastor Marquise was talking about leaving a legacy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? In your church, in your home, in your workplace. Everybody we come in contact with, we're going to have an impact on their life, either positive or negative. And the most memorable thing wasn't even something that he said to us, it was something that we did. So on Saturday, we had two sessions. We had the first session, and then we had solo time, and then we had a second session. And during solo time, they challenged us. They gave us a little journal, and we had to go out, and we had to write our own eulogy or write our own obituary. And we had to think, what will people say about me at the end of my life? Will they say that I was living for Christ? I mean, they may say it. But will they really mean it? And wow, sitting down just to think about what I hope is said that day for me. Made me really think about my life. Am I really living a life of positive legacy? Am I really trying to impact people the best way that I can? Do I want people to say that I was dead in my life to Christ or do I want them to say that he was awake in Christ and he lived for Christ and it shone throughout his life? Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says this, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this. I live in a high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with a repentant heart. So how do we know if we're spiritually sleeping? Six things that I will tell us if we are spiritually sleeping or if we are awake in Christ. One, we have a, I know I put seven on there, but I realized I only had six. I can hear you back there. At first, I only had five, and then I got another one. And So, one, you have a decrease in conviction. You have decreased in conviction. If you are spiritually sleeping, you are no longer convicted about the wrong things that you are doing. John 16, 5, five through 15, John 16 says this, But now I am going away with the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he keeps telling them that he's going to go away. And they're like, no, you don't need to go away. They never asked him where he was going. He said, but I'm going to go. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you if I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. And of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The ruler of this world is Satan. Verse 12. "There There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling, telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I have said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit acts as a sort of prosecuting attorney, Who exposes the evil, reproves evildoers, convinces people that they need a Savior, and makes us feel convicted when we do wrong. And we need to understand that there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt is more about our fleshly desires. And guilt can sometimes even come from Satan. Where conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Guilt does not lead to change. Satan uses guilt to keep us right where we're at, broken. Conviction, again, is totally different. There are several sources that God can use of conviction in your life to expose sins, can it give you wise counsel, and the Holy Spirit and God's Word will do this. In Second Samuel, God used Nathanael to convict David of his sin. So if, we know that, if you know the story of David, David was the king. He stepped out on his roof. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. And then he, he took her. He had an adulterous affair. He then killed Uriah to hide his sin. And Nathanael comes to David and says, you're living in sin. I know what you have done. God has revealed it to me. And if you want, later this week, I challenge you to read Psalms 51. It's a psalms that David wrote after hearing that about the sin that somebody knew. And he was so convicted. And you can just hear his heart and the fact that he had a total change. And if you know anything about David, even though David messed up multiple times... He was still called a man after God's own heart because he repented of his sin and he knew that he needed to live for God. Point number two, decrease time spent with God. When I first started writing my sermon, I was like, okay, well, decrease time spent with God. We don't really need to hit that one as much because we kind of hit that last time I preached with this is my Bible. And then I started thinking and reading and there's actually more to this point than any other point. Because time spent with God is one of the best times and most important times of our life. When we're talking about time spent with God, we're not just talking about reading the Bible. We're talking about reading a good book that's going to help you in your walk with Christ. We're talking about, again, Putting on that positive music that other people have wrote that they get stuff from Scripture. So we would call that worship. We're talking about times in the church and fellowshipping with other believers. And then we're talking about that time, that place where you go to, where you're off and alone, and in the quietness of everything. You just sit. And listen and meditate on what God has said to you, what God has revealed to you through his word. and You think about his goodness through salvation. So how should we read the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? One, we should read the Bible because it reveals God's character. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says this. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish an unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion and sin. So God says, even though. You make me angry. Even though you disobey me, I am slow to anger, and I will forgive you, because that is the goodness of me. But it also says this, but I do not excuse the guilty. I do not excuse those who continue to choose to live in their sin, who choose to live an unrepentant life, Who choose to do all the things that I have commanded them not to do. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, and the entire family is affected, even to the children in the third and fourth generation. Think about that. The things we do today not only have consequences for us, but our children, our grandchildren. In our future generations. All because of the choices. We make. Today. Why should we read the Bible? It gives instructions. For daily life. Second Timothy. Three. Sixteen and seventeen says this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives here's the hard thing it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work so we read the Bible to see how to live and it corrects corrects us When we're wrong number three it teaches us how to pray The disciples they're standing around talking with jesus and they said lord teach us how to pray And we won't hit the scripture today But we know that there that is where he gives what we call the lord's prayer He says this is how you should pray when we pray we need to make sure First before we ask god for anything We need to make sure That we are clean that we have Confessed our sins. Because If we have these sins in our lives, that is definitely going to hinder our relationship with God and hinder our prayer life. Number four, the Bible explains the gospel. John three sixteen says this: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that whoever you are, it doesn't matter, that if you believe in Him, you will have everlasting life. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. So our payment for all the stupid stuff we do should be death. We should be condemned to hell for it. But because of the gift of God... The gift of salvation, the gift of his Son dying on the cross for us, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number five, it explains what we should do with our knowledge about the gospel. Matthew 28:19 and 20 says this, "Therefore go. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to go. We need to go and make disciples. So we need to go and tell people about Christ and help bring them to the Lord. Show them they need the Lord. So we need to go. We are to make disciples of all nations. Then we need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we need to teach these new converts, teach these new disciples to obey all commands in the Bible, we don't get to pick and choose the ones we like. We don't get to take a marker or an eraser and cross out ones. We are to believe and obey all the commands. And it says, and be sure of this, I am with you always into the end of the age. So it tells us what we do with our knowledge about Christ. And that is one reason why we have church. That is one reason why we have New Hope for Recovery. That is one reason why we do outreach events like the Easter egg hunt, like going to Circle Fest, like going to Faith in Blue, so we can show people that we are here in the community. We love you. We're going to give you this free stuff because we love you. So come join us because not only we love you, but God loves you as well. Number six, it teaches us to trust God. And this one very hard sometimes because we want it our own way. We think we know what is best for us when we don't. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, with your whole heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Don't think you know what is best. In all your ways, acknowledge acknowledge God and he will direct your paths when we put our full trust and faith in Christ he will show us which way to go number seven it shows us what God's will is a lot of times people are always searching for this well what is God's will what is God's will for my life how do I know what to do well, God's will is, can be simple because God's will is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And then the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So God's will is to love him. When we love and put our trust in him, then we can know God's will for our life. Romans twelve two says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. 1 Thessalonians five, sixteen, and eighteen says this always be joyful. And again, there's a difference between joy and happiness, and we'll hit on that later, but always be joyful Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in the good times. And be thankful in the bad times. Because even in those bad times, we know that it could be so much worse for us. And sometimes those bad times can produce good results. On Thursday nights, we have we had a house full this past week. We had 44 people. But those bad times that those people were in, they can now celebrate because they are able to tell other people about the freedom that they have in Christ because of the bad things that they went through, the things that they done wrong, the things that have not gone right in my life, I can now use those as what we call a testimony to testify that God is good, that he has brought me through it, and I can now help other people who are walking through those heartaches just like I was. Number eight, it teaches us how to forgive. And wow, is that one that I think a lot of people hate. We do not like to forgive people because they did us wrong. They deserve what they got. But it says this in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So the beginning part, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger. Just this morning, I was we were on our way here and I was listening to the radio and listening to the fish. And they were talking about the new movie that has come out about George Foreman, who's a boxer, but a lot of us know him from his kitchen inventions. And he was talking about he had gone around with boxing two times. He went one time, and then he retired, and then he came back. Well, he found God. He found Jesus. He came to the saving knowledge of Christ. And he started a George Foreman Center to teach kids how to get rid of anger. And he said his second time around... When he was punching people in boxing, he wasn't punching people out of anger anymore. Because the first time, every time he stepped in the ring, he just had this anger because he had yet to come to the knowledge of Christ. So we need to get rid of that. That anger, that bitterness that is going to hinder our relationship with God. Number nine, the Bible is full of truth. John seventeen, seventeen says this make them holy by your truth teach them your word which is true and john 8:31 and 32 says this jesus said to the people who believe in him you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings so you can be called a disciple a follower of christ when you listen to the bible and you will know the truth The truth that is in the Bible and the truth who is Jesus Christ our Lord and the truth will set you free. So coming to Jesus and reading the Bible exposes our sin and shows us how to truly live for Christ. And number 10, it reveals how much God loves you. Romans 8, I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead To verse 35. So Romans 8.35. It says this. Can anything ever separate us. From Christ's love. Does it mean that he no longer loves us. When we have trouble. Or calamity. Or are persecuted. Or are hungry. Or destitute. Or in danger. Or are threatened with death. Does it mean that God no longer loves us. When we go through the hard times of our life. Does it mean that he no longer loves us when we say, well, I just don't feel God at this moment? Verse 36, as the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things that you go through, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. In verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Those who are in Christ, nothing can separate you from God's love. Nor, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears today, nor our worries tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a verse we should be able to find hope in. But as I know, I know, guys, it's so hard to find that hope in those troubled times. But again, we don't know the outcome. We don't know what is 10 steps ahead of us. Only God does. When I was trying to look up verses and find verses about God's love, we could talk forever about the verses that say how much God loves us. But there's one that I came to, and it says this in Ephesians 1 5. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Let's leave that verse up there for a second, because I want to hit a couple words. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us. So we can put it in perspective as adopting a child, or many of us have never done that. Maybe you have adopted an animal, even if you went out and bought yourself an animal, bought yourself a dog or a cat. You went out, and you decided... Which one to choose? You said, I choose that one. That is the one that I want. And that's exactly what God did with us. He looked down at us in all of our sin, and all of our filthiness, and all of our not listening to him. And he said, I love that one. I choose that one. Because it's what he wanted to do. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to adopt us into his family. He wanted to because it gave him pleasure. It brought him joy. Number three, third thing. How do you know if you're spiritually sleeping? Decreased confidence in the power of prayer. We have all heard testimonies of people who have been sick And somebody prayed for them, and they prayed, and they called out to God. And God stretched out their arm, and He healed them. And then there's the rest of us who have prayed and prayed for healing. And we haven't found it. And we have prayed for our miracle. And we have prayed through a breakthrough. And we haven't had that yet. We have prayed for our marriage to recover, and it is still struggling. We have prayed that our friends and family would come back to Christ, and we invite them and tell them, hey, you should come to church with me. I'd love to see you at church, and we try to be an example for them. And yet, it seems like God is not listening to our prayers. Allie decided, she's like, you know what, I want to get back into doing cookies And so lately, we've been praying, God, what do you want us to do? We have the opportunity to purchase the bakery that she used to work at. And we're praying, God, is this what you want us to do? Do you want us to step into this? And I still haven't heard yes or no. So I know what it's like to feel like God is not listening to your prayers. But the answer is always this from God. Yes, no, not right now. James 1, 5 through 7 says this. If you need wisdom, ask, generous, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebu- rebuke you for asking. When you go to God in prayer, he's not going to look at you and be like, Are you stupid? Why are you asking me that? No, don't ask for that. Verse 6, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. When we go to God with our prayers asking him for something, we need to make sure that we are fully trusting that if he wants to do that, he will provide a way. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave under the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So when your faith is going up and down and you're asking for God for things like, Well, I think God can do this. Maybe I'll pray. No. He wants your one hundred percent faith. Like, if I ask God for this, I know that He can do it. Matthew six twenty six says this look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? God takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. James 5.16 says this, "...confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed." The prayer of an earnest and righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So it says the prayer, the earnest prayer, the fervent prayer, the heartfelt prayer of not just a person but a righteous person. A person who is truly living for Christ. We can't be living for the world and praying to God and expect him to give us all those things. Because why would he give us those things if he knows we're not going to use them for him? So when we pray to God, we need to make sure, again, that we have confessed all those sins in our life. So they don't hinder our relationship with God. Well, we say God wants us to be happy, right? Shouldn't he give me those things? Well, again, there's a difference between happiness and and joy. Where happiness is external, joy is internal. Where happiness is have what you want, joy is wanting what you already have. Where happiness is the effect, joy is the cause. And where happiness is temporary, joy is eternal. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12. We're actually going to skip down a couple of verses. Uh, we're going to go to verse five. So Paul here is right into the church at Corinth and he's telling them about, you know, I could tell you all about these good things that God has done for me. And in verse five, it says, but if I tell you about those experiences that are worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do that, I will only boast about my weakness. If I wanted to boast about those good things, I wouldn't be a fool or a liar because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because, if, because I don't want anyone to give me credit for those things in my life. I don't want anybody to give credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times... I begged, I pleaded, I cried out to God to take it away from me. And each time he said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the results, in the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am made strong. I am made strong only through God, only through His help. For when you're spiritually sleeping, you have a decreased enthusiasm in serving. A decreased enthusiasm in serving in the church. A decreased enthusiasm in serving for God. As an organization, as a church, as the building, we don't just want you here. We need you here. We need you to be a part of our community. A part of what we are doing to help spread the gospel. We need you out there serving in the parking lot especially on rainy days like this so we can help people walk to and from their cars. We need you standing at the door, greeting new people, saying welcome to our church. We need you serving and using your beautiful voices that God gave you up here on Praise Team. We need you serving in the tech team. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need you back there. We need you in your love of children serving in children's ministry. We need you with your able to fix things and make things and paint things. We need your hospitality ministry serving in the kitchen. And if you don't know where to serve and you want to serve, you say, well, I want to serve. I want to help the church get further. I want to help reach people. See me. See Pastor Todd. We can help plug you in to the right place where you need to be. God has given each of us a special gift, and we need to use that gift for him. Matthew, I'm going to skip that one. Matthew 20:28 20, says this. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. We don't just want you here, we want you here, but we need you here. We need you to help further this ministry, to help reach the lost, and show them that there is a better life worth living. Number five, decreased in fellowship with other believers. That can coincide with what we just talked about with your decreased enthusiasm in serving. They always say if you want to be smart and wise, then you surround yourself with people who are smart and wise because they will help you become smart and wise. So if you want to be holy, if you want to be godly, then you need to surround yourself with people who are striving to be better each and every day. You need to surround yourself with those who are following Christ because most of the time, If we surround ourselves with people who aren't following Christ, they're going to bring us down instead of us lifting them up. Because the powers of this world, we're just going to call it what it is, the demons of this world are fighting against us. And they don't want us to minister to those people who are lost. So we need to continue to minister to the people who are lost. But we need to surround ourselves with people who are like-minded. And number six, decreased in spiritual joy. I'm going to go through these real quick. So there's ten things that I have here that shows us if we have a decreased in spiritual joy and how, why we should have joy. So one, joy comes through our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When you come to the knowledge of Christ, saying, I can't do this on my own. I need Christ. I needed that blood atonement. I needed that sacrifice to go to heaven. That is a step to joy. Joy comes with obedience to Christ. How do we obey Christ? We do what the word says we evangelize, we love, we serve, we give. Three. Joy comes through forgiveness and repentance. Again, we've already talked about that with being convicted of our sin. So when you're living in sin, it is going to be so hard to have that true joy. So to find that true joy, you need to make sure that one, you forgive others and two you repent of your sins. Four, joy comes through praying for others. We don't just need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for others. Not just, oh, I'm going to pray for them. You need to go up to them and be like, hey, will you go down with me and pray today? I know you're going through something, and I want to pray for you today. Five, joy comes through fellowship with other believers. We need to be here in church. We need to attend The events that we can. And we know you're not going to be able to attend every single event that is put on. But we need to make sure that you are fellowshipping with other believers. Six joy comes through service in his kingdom. We've already talked about that. We don't just want you here. We need you here. We need you serving to make this a successful ministry. We need people serving to put on what we do today. It takes a lot of work to do a Sunday service. It takes a lot of work to do an Easter egg hunt. It takes a lot of work to do New Hope for Recovery. Joy comes when you're here and you're serving and you're seeing lives changed. I tell you, one of the best highlights of my year is when we have that Easter egg hunt And we see almost 150 children get eggs and get bikes. That is what brings me joy. Because we are ministering to those people where they are at. When we were at Circle Fest last year and we handed out almost 600 snow cones. That brought me joy. Because we were just showing these people we love you. Here have this for free. Seven, joy comes through giving. Giving of your time, your talent, and your tithe. Again, we can't, but God can. We can't make this ministry go on. We can't pay the light bill. We can't get the technology that we want and need without you giving. We can't do New Hope for Recovery Without you giving. We can't minister to those people. Who are down. And feel like there is nowhere to go. Without you giving. Number eight. Joy comes through worship. Again. Worship isn't just the music that we sing. It's a lifestyle. Joy comes through your quiet times. And your solitude with God. Joy comes through the study of the word of God. And joy comes through. Your identity in Christ. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. You are the light of the world, and that should shine each and every day. You are adopted into the kingdom of God, and you are heirs of his kingdom. So are you awake or are you sleeping? Are you living for Christ or are you living for this world? Are you carrying your cross? Why should a person come to the cross? Why should a person be willing to embrace death with Christ? Why should a person be willing to go down into the tomb and back up again? Why? Because it is the only way that God can get glory out of a human. In the times of Jesus, they said, You knew one thing about a person who was carrying the cross out of the city. You knew that they weren't coming back. And yet, too many times, we come down to an altar week after week after week, Like we're fascinated by it. Like there's something magical about it. Instead of the power that is in Christ to revive you. So is the world crucified with you today? Or does it fascinate you? James 4.14 says this. Life is like a vapor. It's here for a little bit and then it vanisheth away. It disappears The world is not wanting a new definition of Christianity. It wants a new demonstration of Christianity. We need a move in the Holy Spirit today. Not in the unsaved, but in the redeemed, who are determined by the grace of God to be the bride of Christ. And to be the bride of Christ... Not the building, but the church body. To be the bride of Christ, we have to be divorced from everything else. If Jesus came back today, he wouldn't go out and cleanse the unsaved. He'd start right here in the church. Because we need revival through him. The story I, I read about these Moravians... And they were from the Czech Republic. And that was, that, was their, that was their church, the Moravian Church. And out there, there was an island. And the person who owned the island had slaves there. And he said, no man of God and no Christian will ever step foot on this island. If they're shipwrecked, we'll put them up in a house. But I'm not letting anybody minister and talk about God to my people. So two young Moravians, two young believers in Christ, they decided to sell everything they have and pay their own passage to go out there to the island to be slaves for Him. And on their way out, they said this, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward for His suffering. (laughs) So they said, We're going to go out. We have been revived and we are going to go out to that island. We are laying everything we have aside. And we are choosing to follow Christ. We are choosing to be awake in Him. Is that you today? Are you sleeping spiritually? Or are you awake in Christ? We're going to have an altar call like we always do. Where you get to choose what you walk out with today. You get to choose if you want to walk out with those burdens. You get to choose who you want to follow. Christ or the world. Father God, once again we thank you for this time thank you for your word we thank you for your salvation we thank you for the yeses we thank you for the no's we thank you for the hardships because only you can be glorified through those hardships revive us today give us a new spirit and let us live for you in your holy In most gracious name. Amen.